Well, good morning to you again. Um, we are starting a new series today that uh, on the book of Philippians called The Mind of a Disciple. And before I read Philippians 1, verses 1 to 12, I want to talk just, just for a second about uh, something to note about this book. It actually addresses uh, a, a concept or an idea that may be the very reason you live near the woodlands. Um, you know, in the woodlands, we, we, we like proximity, right? Like people live very close to each other. Some of you drive further than others to come to church here, but you probably live in a neighborhood. If you have your own land, um, I'd love to come visit, but most of us have like just a very small plot of land, and we live near each other. Why do we do that? Well, we like proximity. We want to be close to each other, but not too close. So give me my eight-foot fences. I don't need a porch, you know. Um, I can just, you know, shut the garage door and enter and exit and never have to interact with any humans. But we're close enough because of proximity that if my house is on fire or something bad happens that maybe you can help me, right? The book of Philippians is very much about relationships. And what Paul, as he talks to the Philippians um, about what it means to have the mind of a disciple Part of what he's communicating is that proximity to who God is is not really what we mean by being a mature and equipped disciple of Jesus. That to actually be a follower of Christ means more than just knowing about him or being near kind of the story. Actually, it means a lot more. It means actually having a relationship and part of the gift that God's given to us to encourage our relationship with God the Father is community, fellowship, the church, a place that's near you, a local body, where you get to follow Jesus in the context of a fellowship. In fact, just hearing Kyle talk about VBS coming up, um, I've heard all about VBS. I haven't been able to see one here at Grace in a very long time because you know we haven't been able to have VBS for the past couple years. But it is so fun to see everyone bring their gifts kind of and use them together to do this great thing for these children. You know, and I hope you can be part of that. So thinking about the idea of fellowship, thinking about the idea of what it means um, to have a mind of a disciple, that's the question we'll be asking kind of throughout this 11-part series where we're reading through Philippians. Philippians is not that long of a book. So your devotional reading next week, you could read a chapter a day and begin thinking about it, but we're going to sort of set into Philippians and ask the question of what does it really mean to be in the context of this fellowship and to become a mature and equipped disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to have the mind of a disciple? So with that, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 12, hear the word of the Lord. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how lo I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, 
so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A really beautiful letter that Paul writes to the church in Philippi. Um, clearly, he has a relationship with them, and we're going to talk um, both about the relationships of the people that we see in this text, and then some ideas we can take away about what it means to have a mind of a disciple. You know, as a Christian, as someone who confesses Christ as their Savior, God makes a promise to us. Paul talks about, here, he talks about it here in verse 6, that he's actually going to bring to completion something in us, that he's going to mature us, he's going to grow us. And letters are significant. This was a special letter that Paul wrote, but you know what it's like to write letters. Like you get birthday cards that are letters, or maybe you get a letter from someone that you owe a bill to, or maybe you get messages, you get text messages or emails. Like messages matter. And if I go up to William or Walker or Avery and I kiss them on the cheek and I give them a hug and I say I love you, um, they'll receive that because they know I love them. But if I say, hey, would you take a message for me? Would you go just walk up to Walker and William and Avery and just give them a hug and a kiss and tell them I love you? Like, they're, they're not going to understand. They're going to be like, that's really great, Kyle, but where is this coming? You know, we're friends, but what is this? I have to send the message. The person sending the message, the person receiving the message, that makes sense of what the message is. So for us to understand what's going on with Philippians here, I want us to think about who's in this letter, who's writing the letter, Who's receiving it? What's this message all about? And then I'll give you four ideas about what it, some, some things Paul gives us about being, having the mind of a disciple, okay? So Paul, in his first verse, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, Paul was an apostle. That means he was sent. Paul himself had been confronted by Jesus, the resurrected Lord, and, um, you know, Jesus asks Paul, why are you persecuting me, Paul? And Paul begins this journey of faith of following after Jesus. And then Paul goes throughout the region and begins to tell people about what Jesus had done. Now, this is amazing. We sort of read this, and if you haven't thought much about it, it might, you might miss it. But Paul was um, murderous and obnoxious and persecuted the church. And he becomes one who says, whether I'm in chains or defending the gospel, like, it's all worth it. His mind had completely been transformed. And Paul's there with Timothy. We read about Timothy in the scriptures. Timothy was a younger convert that Paul was mentoring and had with him. And so Paul sends this letter. Paul and Timothy send this letter to you, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, Paul could have said, Paul and Timothy, the elite Christians send you this letter. Paul and Timothy, the guys who have seen Jesus themselves, so you better listen to what we have to say. He could have said a lot of things. What does he say? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. This is interesting, that what we find is those who have encountered Jesus, who are following him, rather than use whatever power he gives them to control, they actually use their power to serve. Why? Jesus says this in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 22, verse 25. Jesus says to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. 
For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. So Jesus himself tells his people from the get-go, look, what I'm doing, this kingdom I'm a part of, I'm going to give you power, and I want you to use that power to imitate me, to serve. And that's so upside down, because so many times in our world, what we find is that people who have power use it to control, and yet this king is a servant king. And so Paul and Timothy say, we write to you, servants of Christ. Then we read in uh, verse B, 1b and verse 2, to Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. To all God's holy people. Why does Paul talk about the Philippians this way? Well, if you read in the scriptures, you can actually learn about how God feels about us, those who confess Christ, those of us who are following God. How does he talk about us? Well, he says things like this. I knew you in your mother's womb. He says, I've chosen you before the hands of time ever ticked. He says, you are my treasured possession. This idea of holy, being set apart, it is, it is true. The scriptures tell us that God has actually, he's known us before we've ever taken our first breath, and we are his treasured possession. And so Paul is conveying that to the people in Philippi, to the church, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, part of it is that they're unified, but not just with one another, but actually with Jesus. If you remember in Ephesians chapter 4, we preached over this earlier this year, or earlier last year, Paul says this in verse, uh, Ephesians 4 verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and is in all. Something that we believe that the scriptures teach us is that if you put your faith in Jesus, God welcomes you into his family. You are in Christ. It's what we celebrated at Easter, that our death, um, you know, his death becomes our death and his righteousness becomes our righteousness. In other words, if you're wondering where you stand with God, if your hope is in Christ, you're in him. But that's not all that happens. When you put your faith in Jesus, you're actually put into also the household of God, into the family of God. You know, as people who are united around this message of grace, we're actually brothers and sisters. And you see that in Paul's sentiment towards the people here in this letter. We read that these specific people he's writing to are in Philippi. It's painfully obvious. But there's this local reality to working out your faith. Now just think about this for a minute. Imagine that as Christians, we had just one physical building as a church in the Houston region. And twice a year, we had an event, one on Easter, one on Christmas Eve, and every single Christian in all of Houston is supposed to go to NRG Stadium, and, and that's what it means for us to have a local church. Uh, that might be fun. I actually hate traffic. It sounds awful to me. But like, just imagine for a minute that that's all that it meant. That's what it meant to be part of the church. That's not what it means. God very much intends for us in a local context to have people that we're not just in proximity with, but that we have an authentic relationship that is based not on what we can give to each other or what we can take from each other, but on this simple fact that we are in Christ. God intends for you as a beloved child of the kingdom 
to live out our lives in the context of a church where we follow him together, we serve with one another, we pray to him together, we seek after him. Proximity is not just enough. We actually are meant for fellowship. You know, think about the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They don't just all have different offices and sort of text message each other whenever they need to get a message across. They are one. Three persons in one Godhead, they have this community and fellowship. And as his people, we actually have this fellowship with one another. So, to the holy people, the church in Philippi, and then to the overseers and deacons. And I only point this out to sort of um, show, you know, explain for you, if you haven't thought about this in our own church, that we also have overseers and deacons. Overseers or elders are called to govern the church, to shepherd the church, and Paul's writing to them, so he knows them. And he's also writing to the deacons, and deacons carry out the responsibilities and roles or tasks that the session has or the elders have so that the session can focus on this shepherding and governing. And Paul's writing to both these groups of people, and he cares about their unity. In fact, we'll, we'll study this later as we make our way through the series, but there's actually a very public division that's going on between two of the leaders. And Paul says, look, you two are not of the same mind, and I want you to be of the same mind. In other words, I want the most important thing for you to be this, that you are God's holy people. Not your political party, not your favorite you know, champion for the NBA playoffs that are on right now, not your alma mater, not your opinion on this or that. No, the main thing is this. We are God's holy people in Christ Jesus here in this place, working out our faith together. Then, after he, after he says all that, we've heard about Paul and Timothy. It's written to the church. It's written to the leaders. Then we read this, this in verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God our Father the Lord Jesus Christ, they send this message through grace and peace. This is so significant. God is our Father. You know, I'm not a perfect father. Maybe your father wasn't a perfect father. This is a perfect father. The Lord Jesus Christ, maybe you've had people in charge of you who are not perfect and they're, you know, being your king or being your governor or being your leader. This Lord is perfect. Paul's saying if you want to think about how to define God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, here it is, grace and peace. Do you see the significance of the relationships here? Paul considers these people to be friends. We read in verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I'm in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. There's this, there's this relationship that Paul has with the Philippian church, and that's the context for everything that follows. Paul wants them to know this message of God's grace and his peace in the context of relationship, in the context, context of fellowship. It's actually the thing that grounds everything, everything that follows. You know, Paul doesn't start the letter and say, okay, Philippian church, um, give more. Philippian church, behave. Philippian church, do these 10 things. He doesn't do that. He starts with this. Here's the ground. Here's the centering. Here's the main thing about who you are. You are recipients of God's grace and God's peace. God sends this to you. Can you imagine if that's how you approach your relationships in this life? That if we actually approach our relationships with people 
when we have differences especially, that the relationship based on how this argument goes is not going to be what this relationship is based on. Actually, this relationship is going to be based on love. So we're going to deal with what's happening, but we're going to be centered on the reality that we are either family or we are married or we are you're my kids and i'm your parents whatever it is what if the centering of our relationships with people was not on what they do or don't do but on grace and peace this is what god invites us into with himself he invites us this morning wherever you are in your spiritual journey you know there there are people who are new in their faith here there are people who've been walking with jesus for a very long time understand this if you take one thing away today it's this god wants you to start the conversation with him this way understand that god the father and the lord jesus christ come to bring you peace and not just in proximity but actual real experiential grace and peace that are yours by faith in him when we talk about grace what we're talking about is this idea that god has given us absolute access to the the blessings of his kingdom you ever wonder if you had to answer this question why am i worth loving why, why would God care about me? Well, he does because he is love. He is gracious. He pursues those who are running. He meets those who turn to him. He's gracious. But he's also a God of peace. You know, another word for peace, shalom. What does shalom mean? Well, we don't, we don't use it a lot in this culture, or if you do, um, you understand what a beautiful word it is. But the idea of shalom is that the world is as it's meant to be relationships are as they're meant to be our bodies are as they're meant to be god promises us and paul references this a couple times here in the day of christ jesus when jesus fully returns all things will be made new our bodies will be made new relationships will be restored Um, there will there will be no more wars there will be no more division there will be utter and complete shalom God is inviting us into a church that centers themselves on the reality of those promises. Grace and peace to you. You know, if you, however long you've been at Grace Presbyterian Church, whether you've been here a month or a year or 20 years, if you were to ask me, what do I really want to make sure you experience in the context of this fellowship, that would be it. The grace of God and Jesus Christ. The peace of God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the starting point That is the end point. That is what we have to offer. It's actually, when you think about our VBS that's coming up, God's Wonder Lab, um, our kiddos are going to be thinking about this. God's grace towards us. God's peace towards us. And what do we have to do to get it? Receive it. That's it. He invites us into a family that is centered on the promises of who Jesus is. Okay. There's a little intro um, on on this whole letter to Philippians. Don't worry, that's not 15% of my sermon this morning. Okay? Like, but I want to mention, I want to mention four ideas to you that I want you to maybe write these down or think about because I want you to be contemplating these concepts as we make our way through this series for the next 10 weeks beyond this one. Here's the big question. What does it mean for me to have the mind of a disciple? What does that mean? What does it mean for me to become, this is another way of saying it, to become a mature and equipped follower of Jesus? What does that look like? And Paul is writing the letter to the Philippians for this very reason. He's saying, hey, grace and peace to you. That's where we start. 
grace and peace to you. I know you, I love you, grace and peace to you. I want you to follow Jesus. And here's what it looks like. So for the next 10 weeks, maybe these are things you can pray for. God, would you do this in my heart? Would you do this in my life? What are those four things? Well, let me, let me list them for you, and then I'll talk briefly about them. The first is the disciples' gratitude. The disciples' gratitude. Secondly, the disciples' unity. Third, the disciples' love. And fourth, the disciples' growth. Gratitude, unity, love, and growth. Okay? So, we'll start with verse 3. Do you see the spirit of gratitude that Paul has here? I thank my God every time I remember you. You know, there's, I think there's been um, one person in my life who's modeled this so well for me. Like, every single time I would see her, I had no doubt she is gr- grateful to see me. And it was my Mimi. You know, Jamie's grandmother, who we treasured, and she was, she, she was precious to us, has gone on to be with Jesus. Every single time you would sit with her, and I only knew her for 20 years. I knew her for the last 20 years of her life. But every single time you sat with her, it was about you. How are you doing? What's going on in your life? Can I make you, she made the best angel food cake. Can I make you some angel food cake? Like, she was so precious. She always gave thanks. And she's like one of the few people where I've really experienced that. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. You know, they had a relationship and Paul had this spirit of gratitude. Verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. You know, there's this deep sense of appreciation for, for others that Paul is expressing here, this mind of a disciple. You know, maybe this week you should think about who, who um, God has shown love to you through and tell him thank you. Say, you know what? Thank you for loving me this week. And I was thinking about you and I'm grateful. There's something that God wants from us to be grateful, to count our blessings, to see the good gifts that he's given to us. He's given us so many. Paul says in verse 8, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I love you like God loves me, is what Paul's saying to the church. So, the disciples' gratitude, maybe God could enable us to be people who are great who are grateful and the only way we're going to be grateful is if we begin to understand who it is that has given us every good thing the book of james says every good gift is from above every good gift is from above so you surely you have something to be grateful for living into that gratitude is part of taking steps to becoming a mature and equipped disciple of jesus the disciples gratitude secondly the disciples unity verse five because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, Paul was writing this letter from prison, probably from Rome or Ephesus, but Paul had gone from being a persecutor, persecutor of the church to being the, prosecute, you know, the, the persecuted in the church, right? He'd gone from doing the persecuting to receiving the persecuting. And um, he, had, he had experienced that with the Philippians. If you read in the book of Acts, chapter 16, you read about Lydia, who her and her entire household came to faith through Paul's ministry in Philippi. Or maybe the Philippian jailer. You know, Paul's there. There's an earthquake. The gates open. Paul can leave. He doesn't leave. They stay there and sing hymns and songs. They wait for the jailer to wake up, and the jailer can't believe they haven't left. But because they haven't left, the jailer doesn't get killed. And he's like, what must I do to believe? Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. 
And so Paul's talking about this partnership, this unity that they have in Christ and in the work of the church. Now, if you wonder why we do VBS, look, I understand. Not everybody in this church can help with VBS. That's not what this is. But it's an opportunity to participate in the partnership of the gospel. Or coming to worship on Sunday morning. When you're here, we are partnering in the gospel together. Or when we're doing the Easter egg hunt, or we're having a Grace Life event. All of these are ways we partner. When we pray for each other, when we go before the Lord on behalf of one another and say, Lord, would you please watch over and bless this person? Or would you please provide for them? We're partnering in the gospel together. The disciples' unity. We're united in Christ. He's taught us what it means to be united to Him. He's given us grace and peace. And the more we believe that and the more we express it, we begin to express grace and peace to one another. Unity begins to happen. The disciples' gratitude, the disciples' unity, the disciples' love. Listen to how Paul talks about this in verse 9. This is my prayer, Paul prays, Philippi, the Philippians, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. You know, there's this invitation for them to long for God, to help them to love. Do you ever struggle to love something? Of course we do. You know, sometimes we wonder, um, you know, why am I struggling to, like, love going to church? Look, me too. Like, sometimes I wake up in the morning on Sundays and I think, I should just text Kyle and tell him, like, I'm too tired or something, right? I've never done that. It could happen. Uh, could happen. You know, God actually says it's okay for us to say, you know what, would you enable love in me to abound? God, I'm struggling to love this person in my life. Would you enable me to love them? Because Jesus has asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? Love God, love one another. Lord, help me to love. Even that prayer, leaning upon God's grace and his peace, you're entering into following Jesus and cultivating the mind of a disciple. To pray for God to enable us to be grateful. To pray for God to enable us to be unified. To pray for God to increase our love. Because what happens when we do is not only does it begin to change our hearts, but something else happens. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So, this is what happens, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You know, one of the most common questions I get as a pastor from people is, I do not feel like I'm, like, what does it mean to grow? Like, I don't, I don't feel like I'm close to God. I, I, what does it mean for me to grow in Him? How do I access that? Here it is. For God to increase our faith that He's going to do this good work in us. As we pray for Him to make us gra uh, grateful, as we, as we pray for Him to unite us, as we pray for Him to increase our love, that is the process of growth. Seeking after to follow Him. Verse 6. Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The good news is, is that God is going to complete this work in you. You may really struggle with one of these. Maybe you really struggle to experience unity, or you really struggle to be grateful, or you really struggle to love, or you really struggle to believe that God's um, helping you to grow. You can be confident of this. Here's the good news. He's going to bring it to completion. Here's the less than like helpful news sometimes. It may take like an, for the rest of your life. It will take the rest of your life. We're living in this gap between what God has promised for us and 
um, where we are now. And that's normal. There's going to be a struggle. There's going to be kind of a question about how long will this take. But God is telling us here in the Scriptures that eventually you're going to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. As we put our faith in Jesus, God is going to work these things in us. You know, I, this series, that's, that's really, as I've been contemplating it, that's, that's my hope. I'm praying for God to do this in our church, to give us the mind of a disciple, people who are growing in gratitude and growing in love and growing in unity and are seeking to grow in our own spiritual growth, that he would increase our faith. If you've ever asked the question, what is God's end game? That's it to enable us to have this mind that is centered on His grace and His peace. You know, uh, this year, I can't believe it's already April, um, but we're headed towards May, and then we're hitting the summer, and, uh, you know, if you're thinking about how to pray for your own spiritual journey or, or the spiritual journey of our church, this is specifically how I would ask you to pray, that God would do this work in us this year. Uh, he promises to do it. You know, for the past, the last series we did was the Sermon on the Mount, you remember that? And before that we did the Jesus and the Minor Prophets. And what each of those, those series are all narratives. And this one, it kind of gets down to us really digging into practice. Like how are we going to practice these things? So, I encourage you, read this again. Read Philippians 1. Consider these words that are yours by faith. Pray that God makes us a grateful people, a unified people, a loving people, a people who are growing in His promises. All right? Let's approach the table together. Lord Jesus, this morning as we hear these words from Philippians, um, we are reminded that You are our Lord Jesus Christ, that God is our Father, and that Your primary message for us is that we would be saturated in Your grace and Your peace. Lord, would you help us and give us faith to believe that? And in putting our faith in your grace and your peace, would you increase in us gratitude and love and unity? And would you mature and grow us as we trust in our Savior together? In his name we pray, amen.